Nicolas Cage is probably one of our generation's definitive actors. Hello and welcome to Page Fighting. It's your main man, Andy Gillard here. Hope everyone's keeping well in the world right now. Hi everybody, Matt Guy here. There is a heat wave and there is officially the least amount of clothes we've had on in a recording between the three of us. It's a topless cage yeah. fighting special. And amazingly, it's not me who's the topless one either. Which You'd all <laughs> kind of be thinking to yourselves, I wonder who it's going to be, but no, it's not for a change. Hello everyone. It has been a scorch. I'm hoping by the time this podcast comes out, it will be much cooler. But who knows at this rate? It's one of those. It's 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 one of those where I'm not equipped for the weather. I you know we don't get the sun actually in July in this country. It comes in randomly at the end of September, so I'm Ill, I'm ill equipped to deal with it at the moment. Yeah, I, I was kind of expecting it to be a bit miserable, to be honest. Because we've had a few days of sunshine already. I thought, well, we're done with summer now. We can get on with the rest of the year. And it's come back with a vengeance this weekend. And I think it's supposed to be horrendous for the rest of the week. Shouldn't complain, really. Anyway, we're here to discuss Prisoners of the Ghostland, a film that was released last year that I think sort of went a little bit under the radar, mostly because it was direct to streaming in this country. And obviously it was very much in the shadow of the big release of Nick Cage's career that was big. Matt, going into this one, any hopes and fears on, on what you're expecting? Well, it's it's one of these really. Before seeing the film, I expected it to be one of those, um, you know, those mishmashes gone wrong, like that Cowboys and Aliens, whatever it was called, with Daniel Craig in it, or, mm. um, you know, just... Two two genres that don't really have any place meeting in like Mad Max versus Samurais versus like steampunk or anything like that. I just don't. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't know. I, I couldn't think in my head how it would make this work. Stu, what were you thinking going in? Please don't be Mandy. Just looking at the poster, it's that kind of vibey, and you think, oh dear. Um, but yeah, again, like you said, we all missed it. We. When you said that this was going to be the one for the week, and I thought it must have been an eighties one, so I'd never even heard of it. And since we are like on the button now with all this stuff, we kind of you'd expect us to anything that new that comes out, like the one that's announced over the weekend. Um, <laughs> dating this straight away, um, <laughs> that we'd be on top of these films, but no, hadn't got a clue going into it. Mm. I mean, to be fair, I did see it when it came out initially. It just didn't feel like we were really having a conversation about this film at that point. It was very much overshadowed because it was released in September. And if I remember correctly, Pig was out in this country in September, in the cinema at least. So I think like it never had any room to breathe, this movie. So it didn't get hardly anyone talking about it whatsoever. Uh, I vaguely remember a lot of reviews at the time just talking about one specific word, which was Gonzo, and some really striking artwork. That's literally all I can remember about when it came out. Um, bit strange, but I think that's... like I'll get on to what I think Gonzo is, because 
my perception of that term is completely different to what it was prior to this film. Uh, but anyway, we'll move on. We'll look at the cast now. This isn't a cast of very well-known actors. Like their faces, you may recognise from films, but like Sophia Botella, she's done bits. Like you, I've only seen her in um, the Kingsman, the first Kingsman. She was the silent assassin for Sam Jackson, and I know she was in the Tom Cruise, the Mummy, but she's not really that well known. She's not hardly like a star as such. Bill Mosley, who plays the governor, he's done a lot of. B-movie schlock. He was in the second Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, Rob Zombie's Firefly, Firefly trilogy. Apologies. Uh, Repo the Genetic Opera. So he's done a lot of films that really fly under the radar. Uh, Matt, Rob Zombie, is that your cup of tea at all? Um, Yeah, mu- musically especially so. White Zombie and, and Rob Zombie himself. Um, I'm a big fan musically, but I think... When he started doing his stuff like um, House of a Thousand Corpses and stuff like that, um, and The Devil's Rejects and, and that trilogy, um, I was really, really interested at, at this point now. But he's he's done a he's not really done anything post. I know he did Halloween, didn't he? Um, the most or two thousand seven Halloween. Um. And I know it was he involved in Grindhouse as well. I think he was involved in it. I don't think he was necessarily the. Uh, I don't think he. I think he was involved with it anyway. He does have a new film due out. He's done the Monsters, the old fifties, sixties mm. TV show that they've brought back to life. Oh, I, I don't know. It's. I've never been a big fan of his films before. I'm not sure this is going to change my mind on him. If I'm honest. I mean, like House of a Thousand, um, House of a Thousand Corpses, and Devil's Rejects. When I saw them initially, I thought that it, this it doesn't get more extreme than this until you get onto the dark web kind of thing. Um, and it seemed like violence for the sake of violence. Not that I'm necessarily against that, but it was very much one of those um, you've got to have a buy-in to to appreciate this kind of stuff. But it's actually not too dissimilar to to, to this film that we're we're reviewing today. You've, got to, you've mm. got to have a buy-in and you've got to want to enjoy this before you even start watching it to get anything out of it. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Stu, do you, would you agree with that on, on Rob Zombie's work? Yeah. Um, them two films, Hates of a Thousand Corpses, them two came out of nowhere. I mean, I wasn't into horror really at all of any kind when they came out. And I thought, okay, fine. People are starting to talk about this kind of thing in the, in the early days of the dark web. Um, and yeah, I enjoyed them, but like you said, if you say Rob Zombie, that's what you think of. And that's what the best part of 15, 20 years ago, which is never a good mm. sign really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the other name in the cast is Nick Cassavetes. We will know him obviously from Face Off where he played Dieter. That's all I know. He's got a, a fairly famous name, but I don't know from anything else. So it's very much, when it comes to the cast, this is all on Cage's shoulders, this film. He's the one doing the heavy lifting here. The director, this is his first English language film. I believe his name is pronounced Shion Sono. Um, ne- never heard of him. I don't know any of his original work back in Japan. Looked at his Wikipedia. He ran away at the age of 17 and joined a cult. Which I can <laughs> kind of see in the, the film. I can sort of see the 
possible influences he may have taken from a cult life. Maybe that's just me, I don't know. There was one year he released three films in a single year in 2005, which for a director is unheard of. In 2008, he released a four-hour comedy called Love Exposure about his time in the cult. In one year, he filmed the streets of Tokyo for a whole year, only for the money to run out before he could actually make the film. When he finally got the funding at the, the end of it, the type of film he used to record the streets was obsolete. So he then had to spend even more money to convert it to then put it to film. His Wikipedia makes him out to be interesting, shall we say. I think that might be the best way to put it. He might be a little bit off the wall, which I think is very much demonstrated in this film, to be perfectly mm. honest. IMDb describes this film as a notorious criminal must break an evil curse in order to rescue an abducted, uh, an abducted girl who has mysteriously disappeared. My granddaughter has been lost to us. I would have her return to me post-haste. And you, sir, I am told, are the man to do the job. Each arm is equipped with an explosive device. Your trousers are also equipped with explosives. <laughs> really? Just beyond the point where we now stand lies a highway where evil reigns. What is this? At the end of five days, if you have not returned with Benice, well, I think you get the idea, son. Godspeed. This is the ghost land, a land of no escape. We are not the ones who hold her captive. It's been two days, and still she is missing. How do I get out of here? You must surrender to fate. opens up with Cage, otherwise known as Hero, holding up a bank. Immediately cuts to what appears to be a pagoda red light district, or maybe it's a prison, maybe both. A group of women led by Benice, played by Sophia Batella, run away from this place. Credits roll. We return to see a better look of this world. It appears to be a mix of elements between the Old West and the Far East, which I found to be like a really interesting idea straight off the bat, just this, this two very disparate worlds meeting. Um, it's two extremes within a post-apocalyptic landscape. Without knowing a lot about this film, like I was immediately interested in the possibilities here. What do you think of the actual setting of Samurai Town? What, what did you think, Matt? Yeah, it was... Knowing what I knew about the film going in, just from the artwork and some of the bits that I'd, that I'd seen, 
I knew that visually this would tick a lot of boxes and the setting and the location of Samurai Town didn't disappoint. It was colourful in play. Like everything had its own everything had its own style and even the like the bank robbery scene, everything is such luminous, vivid colour. Um, against like a white backdrop, like the colours pop out the screen. Um, and because of um, listening to Stu's in, uh, incessant rambling about 1080p, I made sure I had the best possible <laughs> copy of this that I could watch. And the colours really popped. And um, and I think Samurai Town itself just looked really interesting. And I wanted to know more. That's what you want from the start of the film. Stu, what did you think of Samurai Town? Yeah, kind of in the same way where um, like things like Firefly was Western space um, mm. cowboys, more so than Star Wars. Um, this was exactly what you described. And so, again, without going in, knowing anything at all apart from the poster and the name of the film, I thought, I couldn't take my eyes off it. I <laughs> mm. said... I've got a feeling that this is going to I mean because you two watched it the day before, and I, I knew that you weren't fans of it. Let's say that. Um, so I kind of thought, well, I'm I'm expecting to be disappointed, but I couldn't take my eyes off it. It was it was like spellbinding, <laughs> and I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but it did its job, and it. it I like the um, the the stylized font as well. Um, with the title screen and the names and stuff that that comes up, and you think, okay, that might be like it reminds me a bit like Grindhouse, like we were talking about a few minutes ago. So yeah, from that point of view, visually stunning straight away. Excellent. A large car pulls up into this town, followed by a horde of women rhythmically clapping and singing this person's arrival. Hero gets bought out of his cell and he's put face to face with a man in the car, Governor. My first immediate thought when we get a proper good look at Cage is for a guy who's been locked up in prison for so long, he's got absolutely no grey in his beard. Like, <laughs> I wonder if they've been letting him have just for men whilst he's been in, in jail. Governor lists why Hero is jailed. That bank robbery at the start went sideways and a lot, lot of folks were killed. Governor explains that Benice is one of his granddaughters, which I think is code for sex slave, and he wants <laughs> Hero to bring her home. Governor makes Hero wear a black leather suit, a suit which has got two bombs sewn in, one for each of his, and to quote the, the governor, his testicules, he calls them. I don't know why <laughs> that really made me chuckle. <laughs> there are several like odd little moments in this whole setup, the strange nursery rhymes that are being sung by the locals, the odd dancing fight sequence. As I said before, it's very much a mix of Eats Meets West. I, I was there for it immediately. Once entering the Ghostland, Hero crashes his car and gets taken away by a group of mutated men. We get the odd moment of Crazy Cage here, screaming, Hi fucking yeah! Hi fucking yeah! <laughs> at the locals in this very strange little tribal village. The villagers tell Hero that Benice is hiding in the mannequins to which Hero goes over and starts pulling apart the mannequins until he finds her and tries to convince her to follow him back to the governor. I, When they said she was hiding the mannequins, I thought it was going to be, there was a field of mannequins and she's hiding behind them, not she's literally dressed up as a mannequin. Really bizarre. Uh, so that's about half an hour in there. 
Um, in reading about this film, the term gonzo kept coming up, like I've said, and it seems the most fitting word to describe what we've seen, this strange, overtly extra... Like, I realised early doors that this film was going to divide people immediately. So, Matt, what are your thoughts on the opening half hour? The problem is, like, I never thought at any point, like, I knew what genre this film was meant to be. <laughs> yeah. And and that's an issue. Things can be a mix of genres, but generally you can define what possible. This was so all over the place. Like, I had no idea what I am meant to be buying into now. I know that the film looks great, and I know that I'm interested in visually but i hadn't a clue what was going not hadn't a clue what was going on i could follow the plot the the plot is fairly linear man to secure his freedom has to do a side quest as in a game do you know what i mean like it's Mm. that's it but was it meant to be a comedy an out and out comedy was it meant to be you know I, i just don't know what it was meant to be and that was this is where the problem started and now i'm not now I'm not interested anymore because I I don't know whether I should be laughing or should be scared or whether I should be on the edge of my seat or whether I should be taking it easy and letting this intellectually stimulate me. I just didn't know what I should be feeling watching this. And all I was feeling was frustration in the end. Totally fair, I think. Stu, what are your thoughts on the the, the beginning here? I was pissing myself. <laughs> I, I took it as a, as a comedy. As soon as the... When he started doing the karate stuff, I thought, "Well, this is clearly not a serious film anymore, is he?" And then you had the like the the guy who was talking in it with a robo- robotic voice for no reason at all. Was it Ratman, Rat King, or whatever? It was. Yeah, Ratman. Yeah. So, I mean, and all the like the 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 people holding the clock, <laughs> the fingers of the clock on a rope, <laughs> and <laughs> you sort of hiding in the mannequins. As soon. I mean, whenever anyone says mannequin, I think of the film Mannequin, which is amazing. Like, everyone should watch that anyway, if you've not already. Very different film for this. Um, Very different. <laughs> equal is enjoyable, though, in a way. But yeah, I, <laughs> I couldn't take anything. I mean, the bollock suit was stupid enough anyway. And all the uh, all the geisha girls with kind of drawn-on white beards at the start, I thought, well, okay, fine. Just, just fine. It makes perfect <laughs> sense. But then... It started getting more and more. It, it went from being weird to being stupid. And as soon as he started doing the, the karate kicks, I mean, when he was being carried on the, on the stretcher thing as well, <laughs> and they're just, they're just, I, I was sitting there when I, I was admittedly quite drunk as well, which helps. <laughs> and, and I was watching it last thing at night after after four episodes of Stranger Things in one day. But I thought it was a comedy. And I think this is probably why I want to rate it higher than you two because I thought I just took the piss out of the whole thing, and I, I think it had that element that lets you do that to it as well. It not mm-hmm. no one can say this is a serious film. Not no one in the world can say this is serious because it's complete nonsense. The whole thing, and it's played so camply. I mean, this is only half hour in as well, let alone what comes that comes next. It's played so camply. I mean, why has the governor got red gloves on? Why? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> None of it really makes any sense, to be fair. No hero has Benisi leaves with her. He gives her water, and this act of pouring the liquid in her mouth seems to have gotten Hero excited. The suit was designed such that if he tried to molest or attack, 
the suit would respond. And so the suit blows off one of Hero's bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> Which is such a fucking weird sentence to have said out loud. <laughs> he falls unconscious, and whilst out, he remembers the bank robbery from the start. This time we see more of what happened, and it wasn't Hero who killed them, but his partner, Psycho, who gunned everyone down whilst Hero attempted to stop him. When the police arrive, a girl in the crowd accidentally gets shot in the leg. He now recognises this girl to be Bernice. Hero then dreams that he and Bernice are treated in an interpretive dance number where they explain what happened to create the Ghostland. Bernice and Hero return to the Ghostlanders. Hero gives a speech to get those people to rise against the governor while setting up his army. Hero sees his bank robbery partner and realises that he was part of the reason that there is the crash that then caused the apocalypse that then caused the ghost land. It's all a little bit convoluted. It's all a little bit strange, but that's 80 minutes of the film at that point. There was a whole lot of middle where it was dream sequence, which was a bit strange. Um, it didn't feel like a lot happened to further the plot more to pad out the, the surroundings. It was a lot of exposition really. Um, but at least it wasn't them telling us, it was them actually showing us, which I did appreciate that, if if nothing else. I thought it was quite good. What were your thoughts on the middle bit, Shu? Yeah, it w- it did drop off the silliness when it started having an actual plot. Um, and like, I mean, when, he's, when his partner turns up and I thought, oh, he's going to be like the guy in Robocop who, uh, who gets splattered against the, <laughs> against the, the van door. The front of the van, and I was quite disappointed that the, obviously the budget day stretched that far. Um, but it was all this was it. This was my the middle bit was my problem with it that it was a bit it went a bit dull and it didn't really need to be there. And for a film that's it's what is it, hour and 50 or something like that, it's yeah. it didn't need it really. You you already had the you already knew it was set up perfectly anyway. When you see the clock people and the Rat King and all the Rat Man and you, all all that stuff was already there. You didn't need all this backstory, and it seemed it did seem like you said it did seem like padding, and there was no real need to it. I mean, at the the end comes superb, but the, this part I was kind of drifting a little bit. I mean, that was fifty minutes worth of stuff, for want of a better word, Matt. So. Was it too much? What do you think? Absolutely, like I was, I was thoroughly disengaged at, at this point in this because I just, it was, it was stupid for the sake of stupid and experimental for the sake of experimental. And we've, I've been burnt by this before with Mandine. It was heading in that direction very, very quickly. And you know what? Like the worst thing a parent can say, I'm, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed <laughs> because, because. He can do things like pig and unbearable weight. <laughs> and then in the next breath, he does stuff like this. And it just makes me think like, this is why, this is why I don't, I'm not sure it is better to love and loss because <laughs> I'm just getting my heart broken. Feels even worse. You know what I mean? Um, I, I really didn't enjoy like this middle section of the film, it just dragged on and on and on. I couldn't wait for it to finish. And, um, it was like slowly, not even slowly, dramatically declining. The the absolute best bit was him getting his bollock blown off. Yeah. I don't say that very often. 
So now Hero and Benice and the Ghostlanders arrive at Samurai Town. Governor refuses to give Hero the key to get him out of his explosive suit. One of Governor's granddaughters flips her shit and starts machine gunning everyone down. A battle ensues, ultimately ending with Hero killing one of the Governor's bodyguards and Benice taking out the Governor. That's the third act, basically, in a nutshell. Um, that's in at just over 100 minutes, all in. I quite enjoyed the final battle from a visual standpoint. The um, Obviously, they, they fought at night in Samurai Town. You had all the lights shining on each of the weird buildings, giving it this complete different look to what we'd seen when we'd seen it in the middle of the day. I liked it visually, and I thought the actual fighting was quite good. So I, I quite enjoyed the ending probably more so than the middle. I think it did go up in my estimation towards the end, but that middle bit just sort of killed me off, if I'm honest. Uh, Matt, third act thoughts? Uh, I mean, <laughs> it coming to an end was a positive, I suppose. <laughs> I liked the whole like Kill Bill vibes of his um, yeah. battle with whatever the fucking guy's name was. Um, that the governor kept shouting his name. I wish I could remember what it was, but like uh, y- y- it was Yashiro, was it? I think something Yashiro, along those maybe. Um, I like that final battle. To be fair, that it was almost verged on serious for a split second, but it was actually decent. <laughs> um, and then it went back to just the nonsense again. Um, I, I like. I fully understand that I am not the. Um, soundboard for what is a good or a bad film but I think you've just got to enjoy this kind of stuff and I just don't so it's not a fair it's not a fair assessment really because like this could be the greatest weird shit film ever and I just wouldn't know <laughs> it because it's just not my it's just not my bag it's very much experimental art isn't it yeah and yeah you either embrace that shit or you don't so, like I said before, I very much get why it's so polarizing. Definitely, Stu, um, your thoughts on the final act? I mean, it, it, the only way it would have got weirder is if it went into like Sin City and went black and white, well, black, white, and red. I mean, yeah. yeah, which you wouldn't <laughs> at times you wouldn't have put it past them doing it, that kind of thing because that's the kind of vibe that you get from this, where. Oh, they're gonna they're gonna pull some kind of weird kind of anime kind of shit out of nowhere. Hmm. Yeah, I, like I said, I, I enjoy. I, <laughs> it got back to being ridiculous again, uh, and that's what I've taken from the start of this film. So once it got back to that and all the exposition and nonsense and actual talking <laughs> was, um, I mean, the acting's awful anyway. Like everyone's fa- everyone's phoning it in or either phoning it in or being way over the top. There's there's no like middle ground is there for no one. Mm. So when all the grand the granddaughters in that it looked like a cave <laughs> but it was a house. And, you know the bars up stop just madness. Um but yeah like, like you I, I liked I mean vision I mean I, like I said a couple of weeks ago I started playing um Tretiyomi, which is a, a samurai game. So that this kind of Japanese kind of vibe I'm, I'm into at the minute anyway, and for, for that reason, I was I was more into this than I, I, I had any reason to be because like Matt, I don't I mean we was on the same page with Mandy. I didn't get it at all. For, for some reason, I got this more. 
<laughs> and it doesn't really make any sense. And I, I enjoyed the last, the last bit got it back to, I mean, it's still probably going to be like a look, I don't know, five and a half or a six or something like that. But it's, it's not, a, you can't recommend this to people, but that last bit brought it white back for me. Hmm. So the budget on this movie, I've not been able to find like an official one. On Film School Rejects on Twitter, they claimed it was $75, which just doesn't make any sense. But from what <laughs> I've gathered, it's very much Nick Cage made this film, I think, making a loss because uh, Sono, the director, had a heart attack early doors and they Nick Cage paid for them to move this film over to America to continue the shoot. So I think that it probably was dirt cheap. Um, but I don't know the official one, unfortunately. The box office was 71 grand. Um, the reason being, it only opened in three cinemas in the US for two weeks. So I mean, that, that's not an unreasonable amount for that. But basically, it went straight to streaming pretty much everywhere. So that's no surprise. It was released on the 17th of September 2021. The big releases that week were Cop Shop, uh, sorry, Cop Shop, which looked awful, but also fun. Crime Macho, which was the Clint Eastwood film, which, I mean, Clint Eastwood just seems a little bit boring. And The Eyes of Tammy Faye, which was Jessica Chastain's film, which she won the Oscar for. Uh, because the reviews so regularly mention the term Gonzo as a description of this film, I thought I'd have a look and see what other films are considered Gonzo. So Gonzo is most closely associated with a type of journalism. Um, so I thought it was worth figuring out what the hell it actually meant firstly. And in this context, it means that it's described to be unique looking but absurd within the realistic confines of the film which just sounds fucking insane. So an example of this would be seeing cartoon characters in a gritty cop drama would be considered gonzo. Surrealism within the elements of its individuation, almost. Um, a list of some of the best gonzo films. Adaptation, Monty Python's Meaning of Life, Eraserhead, Natural Born Killers, Battle Royale, Being John Malkovich, Where the Wild Things Are and Brazil. Um, I thought when watching this that maybe I didn't understand what Gonzo Cinema was. And it turns out I don't think that they know what Gonzo Cinema is. I think it just seems to be a term that's used for any film that's slightly weird, to mm. be perfectly honest. Mm. It's concerns me there that there are two or three films that I like very, very, very much. And they fall into this category that also has films I really can't stand. <laughs> mm. I mean, I, I sort of get how you would put Natural Born Killers in there because it does cut to a scene where it's basically a sitcom. Like yeah, the, yeah, yeah. There are elements that have gone so within those terms. I don't see how Battle Royale is. Like, it sets up its own world and everything happens within the confines that it sets. So Literally, I don't... the only thing I think it could be is, is, is the stuff around the uh, educational videos that they do. Like, it's the only Maybe. other... The only other bit of like non, in fact, it's one of the most like of I can think of films that's held held within one environment the whole way through. Yeah, so, it, it's a bottle episode, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah, a bottle yeah. episode because it's all set in this fucking jungle. Like it, it's not, I don't know. It all it's all this film has left me with is I don't understand anything I thought I understood before. So are we now saying that like? 
the um, Black Noir scenes in The Boys was this Gonzo stuff when he's got them imaginary cartoons around his head. Yeah. Is it <laughs> basically? It, well, it's just it's just a word for weird, basically. Possibly, but then again, are those cartoon characters? They're a representation of Black Noir's psyche. So does that play within the confines of the boys? I, I don't know. But honestly, this has just left me more confused than I was before, <laughs> if I'm being perfectly honest. <laughs> um, so we'll give you the scores on the doors. Uh, Matt, out of 10, out of 100, what do you think the audience and critics made of this one? Uh, my worry is that the critics will have loved it just because <laughs> it's it's an opportunity for them to be hipster as fuck. But I I'm, I'm gonna I I think the vast majority of people will be in my boat, so I'm gonna go four point five for the audience. But I think the critics might give it like a seven. So overall, probably five or six. Like what's due? Like Stu, I think hinted at. Mm. Yeah, Stu, you said five and a half, six. Do you still believe that? What, what do you think? And that, that's what I'd say. I mean, I think I'd go with Matt though because it, it is like one of them. Oh yes, this is so weird. It has to be, we give you extra marks for being stupid, and there's there's more there's more context than than meets the eye kind of thing. It's either going to go that way or everyone's going to say shit. <laughs> um, I, I'd I mean I'd guess that critics would love it because it's around that kind of time. Um, that kind of phase with Mandy and Colorado Space. So, yeah, critics high, say, I don't know, six, seven, audience. I mean, no one talks about, no one, I've not seen this. I mean, we've been doing this for, what, two years? I haven't seen in the last six months anyone talk about this film on Twitter at all. So, audience pretty low, five, mm. four, five, something like that. <clears throat> yeah, you're almost spot on. IMDb is a 4.2. Um, the Rotten Tomatoes audience score was 20%. So <laughs> one, in, one in five people enjoyed it is basically what they're saying there. The critical response was a 61% on Rotten Tomatoes. So, yeah, I think you, you're sort of right there. Um, so the critical response is mixed. Uh, Richard Roper from Chicago Sun-Times. Prisoners of Ghostland isn't campy enough to be camp. Nick Allen from RogerEbert.com. No movie with Nicolas Cage, directed by the wonderfully weird Japanese director Shion Sono, should be this taxing, drawn out and plainly boring. Uh, Sarah Stewart from the New York Post. If you're planning to enjoy this film, don't ask too many questions. Just embrace the spectacle, a mishmash of genre and a riot of colour. The one which I think sums it up best for me is probably Ian Freer from Empire Magazine. Ghostland is by turns brilliant and rubbish. Cage is in his element. It has visual invention to spare and the fight scenes are fun. But it's a shame such imagination is tethered to equally all over the place storytelling. Amazon.com hated this film. Wow. A 2.8 out of 5. I wish I had all of the other films' numbers now, just so I could compare. Um, but I did have a quick look at some other absolute shitters that have got similar scores. Um, it is lower than Left Behind, amazingly. It's lower than Jiu-Jitsu. It's lower than The Wicker Man. And it's even lower than Grand Isle, which has a 0% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Now, I know <laughs> we all sort of enjoyed Grand Isle, but 
Yeah, strange. 48% gave this film a one or a two star rating. So it was not enjoyed at all by people. Harry Grimes, bit confusing, really. They could have at least given us a hint as to what was going on. (laughs) Someone called Andrew said, the first film I've ever seen with Nicolas Cage, who I really, really love, for which I would give a minus five out of ten. It could not have been worse, but the film does touch on some ultra-sensitive and ultra-unacceptable topics in the story, e.g. a (laughs) paedophile. Stuart said, take uh, take some insanity, add a mix of madness and lunacy into a Western mixed with Japanese and Mad Max. Not the average film for the average film viewer. Expect B-movie crazy. And finally, Adam from Wakefield said, I like it, but it's a little too weird. Mandy was a crazy film and probably one of my favourites, but this feels like it's been crazy for the sake of it. It feels forced. Kind of got lost in it and couldn't keep track, but there are little bits that are quite good. So I need you a good, bad and crazy, please, gents. Stu, start us off. I mean, the good, it, it made me laugh more than I expected it to. Um, I don't think, I don't know if that was the intent. Who knows? It's open to interpretation, like I said earlier, but... To laugh as, as much as I was, I mean, at some of the absolute madness of it all, um, I've got to give them credit for it because it, it it got me and <laughs> I didn't expect it. I mean, the, the bad is, I mean, the bad is like the plot and that middle section. It's just, it didn't need to be there. And if it was, I could have done something different with it and shaved 20 minutes off the, the runtime and it would have been a much better film for it. Um, which I very rarely say that makes films shorter, but in the in this case, I think it, it it needed it more than anyone else. Any other film that we've done for a while needed it, and I mean the, the crazy. I mean, oh, where do you even start? <laughs> I mean, like, like you can't say you can't describe this film, can you? I mean, that's the that's the th- the crazy thing about it. What what do you say to someone? Oh, yeah, watch this film. Or what's it about? I don't know. <laughs> everything, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's everything, nothing. It's got no plot. It's got a massive plot. It's got issues that you don't want to talk about. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's you can't. I can't recommend this to any person that I know. And in in good faith or bad, because if I say I'll oh, watch this as a kind of joke, someone might see who I did and and have a great old time. You just don't know what you're gonna get. And I, I can't think of any other film as I've ever watched in my entire 38 years of being alive that this, this this comes for. It's just baffling. Just completely baffled by the whole experience. <laughs> Matt, what have you got? So the good is it's set design and visually was very good in, in parts. You know what I mean? It, it looked... I, it didn't seem to spare a lot of expense on the visual budget, um, apart from being on location anywhere. But then you mentioned, obviously, about Cage moving things around because um, the director had a heart attack, etc. But it looked great. And that was the only saving grace for what would have probably been a first that I'd have switched this film off and kicked up a scene. And I'd have, 
I'd gone on strike. I'd have gone on strike and said I'm not continuing this <laughs> nonsense anymore. Um, the bad though is what, what I've already mentioned in uh, like <sighs> quirkiness and silliness for the sake of it, and then using the banner as experimental is one of my biggest pet peeves. It's a, it, what do the kids call it these days? It's a, it's an ick. Hey, I think that's how you use it. Um, <laughs> and it's just one of those where like you, it's a really basic story. This story, like it's so simple, but the need to make it this ridiculous pre- and make it as silly and stupid as it as it was just completely ruined it for me. It could have been beautiful looking, and it could have been quirky ish, but this was taking it to a level where I like I just don't think they gave a shit if the audience liked it or not. That's a <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> it just wasn't for me. Um, the crazy though, um, the director. Turns out he's a bit of a wrong gun. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> so in April 2022, um, he's been accused of multiple sexual assaults and trading sex for film roles. Um, I must um, say this is all uh, alleged, um, but he's got uh, quite a few people have come out and just said how he, you know, asked for sex off um, female, female um, actors when they said no, he'd bring other people into the room and just start having sex in front in front of her, like the person who said no, and all other kind of things. Someone, um, an, an executive at a Japanese film dis- distributor, called him out directly, and it seems to be he's got no remorse on it at all. Like he just he absolutely um, he absolutely opens up. But then he did come out with a statement on April the fifth. Um, we sincerely apologise for any inconvenience and concern this may have caused to all parties concerned. It's not like he's even using that Vinnie, that Vinnie Mac money oh. to hush it, hush it up. <laughs> that that apology of "I'm sorry if you were offended" sort of thing is fucking abysmal. Oh no! Wow, mm, he's a wrong gun. Yep. Um, for me, the good I I echo sentiments on the visuals on several films, especially post pandemic. Several films with big, big budgets we have absolutely slaughtered for looking dog shit. And this looked fantastic. Like This looked like it was filmed in a dump site, but it worked for it. The fact that that was supposed to be the ghost land, you believed in it. Mm. I thought that was great. Like It was quote-unquote real watching this film. I, I believed the setting they were in, and yeah, more power to it. And also, like, Samurai Town, that weird mashup of the Eastern meets Western visuals. It was really striking. And I would, I'd like to see more stories from that world. Probably not from this director. But I, I am quite interested in the idea of East meets West now, which isn't something I ever even considered before, but it's it's such a two different types of cinema yeah. that I'd quite like to see that mashed together in future. Also, this is where Cage met his now wife, Rico Shibata. So that was nice. The bad, very much not for everybody, this film. like it, And also, it's very, very uneven. It's not welcoming to folks who like you don't like the weirder side of cinema. I think you've got to be a little bit out there. You've got to sort of embrace the batshit of stuff a little bit more. And if that's not you, if you like a linear story, this this definitely isn't for you. Like you said, Matt, it it was bordering on self-indulgent. It was very much Sono is making this film because he wants to make it and he will enjoy it and I don't care if you do sort of thing. 
And I, yeah, I don't think that works. Crazy is that the, this is hands down the craziest film we've watched for this podcast and possibly that I've ever watched ever, to be honest. <laughs> um, also, though, this film is the fourth collaboration between Nick Cage and XYZ, the production company who did Mom and Dad, Colour Out of Space and Mandy. So you've mentioned it several times. There is a reason why there is that link there. It's the same production company. It sort of makes sense, really, when, when you look back on it now. So, did you enjoy the film? I think we know Matt's answer to this one, but <laughs> Matthew? <laughs> uh, no, sadly not. Um, much like when I said, let's just stop making films after Elvis, once I've had a chance to recoup, <laughs> uh, it's not the worst film ever made. However, um, I didn't enjoy it, and uh, for that reason, I'm out. Stu? <laughs> well, I didn't really enjoy it, but then... <laughs> I kind of did, and it makes it makes me giggle. <laughs> it's, that's a stupid trait to have to to say that if, if this film was good or not. Because in a year's time, when we do our, our, our next birthday um, thing and we we rank it, it's not going in the worst, and it's got not going in the best. But you're never going to forget it, though. So mm. I don't I don't think I can say. I I I don't think there are words. I think it's got a category all of its own because, yes, I did enjoy it, but I also didn't. But who knows? Who knows? (laughs) I think it's worth seeing just to hear Nick Cage shout testicles when he's stood in front of that massive clock and he seems to manage to put extra syllables in the words. It's weird, but, yes, it's kind of fun. I think I sort of enjoyed it in part... Like you said, it's not the worst film we've seen. It's definitely not the best film we've seen. I quite enjoy a challenging film, something that you've got to try and break down and decipher for yourself. Um, so it, it it was good in those respects, but at the same time, it was a real drag in like that middle section, as we've discussed. It was a real drag. It could have been a really interesting 80-minute film, I think. Unfortunately, it was just over an hour. Uh, 100 minutes which was a bit much for it so I'm, I'm very much on the fence but I kind of enjoyed some of it mm. uh, but based on this film and this film alone was Cage good or was Cage bad? Stu? Um, I mean taking it as as a piss take then yes he was he was a very good comedic actor if you're taking it as anything other than that, then no. But since I I am taking this film as a comedy now, I'm agreeing with myself. This is a comedy, and I liked it. And yes, he is a good actor. Super. Matt, are you in agreement, disagreement? (laughs) I don't know, is the answer. Because (laughs) I don't think this film is meant to be a comedy. But I think Nick Cage drags it into being a comedy. And those was probably some of the only elements I enjoyed. So does that make his performance good? <laughs> probably yes. Because some of the most enjoyable bits in it were bits that he was a part of, I suppose. So I'd give a yes. I think he is a good actor on this film, but I don't know why. With a huge caveat at the end. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he, you know, one of the things he didn't do was when he was woken up, 
he didn't use all four limbs to get out of bed like whoever Benice is. She basically gets up and uses all four limbs to jump out of the bed like and I was like, what on earth is going on? Who the hell has directed this nonsense? <laughs> you know, he doesn't do anything like that. So yeah, I was begrudgingly yes. Mm. Uh the 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 reason I'm going with good on this one is because of a review that I read on it. Uh, and they said that Nick Cage is giving the same performance here that he gave in The Wicker Man. The difference is it's not appropriate in The Wicker Man, but it's appropriate in this film. Anything less than that bonkers, crazy cage, this film would have just died on its arse, which, I mean, it did for Matt anyway, so I mean... But I think that Cage is easily the best thing about this film. He's the one that drags this into being mm. semi-watchable. So... Yeah, it's it's a good for me on this one. Finish the sentence, though. If you enjoyed Prisoners of the Ghostland, you may also like. Matt? I, well, I really struggled with this because I had no idea what I what it's like or, or, or anything that it's even meant to be about. And all I could think of was, God, I wish I was watching Man on Fire. So I'm going. So I'm going. I'm I'm going with Man on Fire basically to rescue rescue the dumb rescue the child. Uh, that's literally literally that's it. Like, yeah. <laughs> excellent. Stu, what have you got? You know, I had taken two for that from that point of view. Um, you know, obviously Mad Max, but I'd say actually Mad Max the game, the PS4 game, Mad Max. It's got more in common with that than anything out of any of the films. I mean, the film would okay. be good, other than Thunderdome, obviously. Um, but also, it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of um, Big Trouble in Little China, in a kind of okay, yeah, yeah. weird, out there, kind of Asian influence, um, but not really, kind of thing, With obviously with Kurt Russell in that case. But yeah, it, it, that was kind of what was sticking in my mind afterwards. Um but yeah, like I said, you can't really pick anything because there is nothing really like it out there. No, you're right. My answer is I, I've gone for another sort of a, an out there but a big Nick Cage performance, um, and it's Willy's Wonderland. Like it, it's very different in styles of the film, but it's very much Nick Cage giving us his all, but it's in a, in a very very different type of way. I think if you want to see Nick Cage giving Nick. Over the top bluster. This is the film for it. If you want a quiet and surly badass Nick Cage, it's that one, and it's that performance against these pretty much cartoon characters come to life. Mm-hmm. So it's as wild as Nick Cage has been for some time before Prison of the Ghostland, and it is a better film than this one anyway. To be honest, so yeah, Willy's Wonderland. So that's another Nick Cage film in the record books. If you've seen this one or any of the others, please get in contact with us. Uh, you can get us on the socials at Cage Fighting Pod, and that's on Twitter and Insta. Emails to cagefightingpod at gmail.com. Please make sure you're subscribed on whatever podcatcher you're using so you don't miss an episode. And please make sure that you can leave us a review, and we will love you forever. So for this week, Matt, would you like to say goodbye? Take it easy, everybody. If it's still as hot uh, as it is now when this episode uh, is released and you have a ginger friend, please take them some aloe vera (laughs) and uh, (laughs) hopefully they haven't shriveled into a prune uh, as I am doing right now. Take it easy. Stu, would you like to say goodbye? (laughs) Don't blow up your bollocks. (laughs) (laughs) It's goodbye from me. And remember, be excellent to each other.
Kyle!